basement or garage full of old house paint that you know you'll never use? I know mine is. Avocado green, hot pink, antique white. That is a nice shade of white, though. You know, it's easy to recycle your leftover paint, stain, and varnish all over California. Most paint care drop-off locations are paint and hardware stores that take back leftover paint. Keep what you need and recycle the rest. Find a drop-off site near you at paintcare.org. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everybody, to the Born to Talk radio show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. For me, conversations plus connections equals community. I call them my three C's. What does community mean to you? To me, it means anything from where you live to what you enjoy and share with others. And I've always been curious about people asking someone a very simple question, what's your story? And that results in the focus of my show each week. Everyone has a story, and I'm here each week to share those stories with you. Today, my guest is Norma T. Hollis. Welcome to the show, Norma. Thank you, Marcia. What a joy to be with you today. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm delighted. And I just want want our listeners to know a little bit about you. You are uh, one of America's leading experts on authenticity. For the past 12 years, you've been helping hundreds of speakers find their authentic voices and transform their speaking careers into speaking empires. You've coached celebrities, executives, politicians, and entrepreneurs searching for a deeper connection with themselves and their mission. Authenticity is the key to finding your life's purpose and communicating with extraordinary power. And boy, oh boy, that is really exciting to me, Norma. I'm, I'm so interested to hear your story. And I'd like you to just, when we start right now, I'd like you to just sort of share with our guests a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, a little bit about your background. Well, thank you, Marcia. I'm happy to do that. I am originally from Detroit, Michigan, the Motor City, and I grew up in the uh, Motown age. So I had a great time with music and dancing and all the wonderful things of that uh, very interesting um, time um, of life. When I Mm -hmm. was um, 28, I realized I had done everything that my parents had say do. My my dad, my father was a dentist, my mother was a school teacher, and their advice to me was be a teacher because then if your husband leaves you, you have a job. Well, that oh. an assumption, you know, made a lot of assumptions <laughs> that weren't exactly true for me. Uh, but and I I took their advice and became a teacher. I taught for thirty days <clears throat> and I hated it. <laughs> I knew I did not want to do that for a career. I had gotten married, and uh, we had the nice house and the cars and good jobs and all that, and I was miserable. And I did not have a clue of what to do with myself or my life because at 28 to be miserable and confused and not know who I was because I was raised to be my parents' view of who I was supposed to be. So that's when I started on this quest to understand myself, to really learn who am I. And I, I developed, um, I, I dissected myself. I've since learned that I have one of my gifts is a logical mathematical gift 
And what that means is I have the ability to see the big picture and to analyze things and find the patterns in things and figure out solutions to problems. And so the problem of understanding myself was then to dissect myself, to understand myself, and that took me, oh, about 30 years. And when I finished <laughs> that, and I had my bureau at that time, I traveled around the country to test, to see if what I found out about myself was true of other people. By this time, I had written uh, nine books uh, on this whole process that I had developed and created a whole bunch of stuff from what I'd learned by being in the speaking industry and the learning the business. And then I learned that what, how I dissected myself was really the same that other people could see themselves. And it gave them a brand new view of themselves that seemed to start answering questions that they had forgotten that they were asking because they couldn't find solutions after decades of seeking and uh, it was helping people get more direction and more calm. And it was just interesting, the thing that people were telling me about it. And so then I just continued to develop that. And that's what's become the foundation of the work that I do, which I refer to. I roll into a big ball and call it the authenticity movement. And that's, it's actually the global authenticity movement with an intent to <clears throat> help people step into their authentic selves find, live, and share their authentic voice and be the person that they were born to be. So that's wow. what I've been striving to do. And it's been a challenge. And so they say you teach what you, what you seek to learn. So I've been seeking to learn that. And in learning that, I'm teaching other people the same thing. That's, that's a powerful thing you just said. You oh, teach. Well, thank you. Say that one more. I mean, seriously, say that message one more time. You seek what you intend to say it again in your words because I didn't write it down and I was uh-huh yeah you you teach what you seek to learn you teach what you so when seek you're teaching to learn. something when you something you learn more about it because as you're teaching you're researching you're not just you know if you if, if your thoughts are not your original thoughts then you're at least researching what other people said so either way That's you're learning so- yeah. You bet. Have you have you always loved researching? Is that just because is that just that logical mathematical solution side of you? Is researching something you've always loved? Well, you know, I've come to learn that, and what I teach a lot of is that who you are in life has a lot to do with your gifts and talents. So, and we're, we're doc, what you're talking now, you're asking me questions in the reverse, and which means mm-hmm. therefore that I can answer them because I've already studied this stuff. So to answer your question, yes, part of it comes because I have a logical mathematical gift, which is the curiosity to want to figure out the patterns and what have you. And the other one is because I have one of my other gifts is called intrapersonal, which means that I enjoy going within to find answers. And a researcher goes within. You know, they may do some other stuff outwardly, but they do a lot of internal communication with self by reading right now, you know, internet uh, researching, even interviewing mm-hmm. others is a way, is an introspective way of, re- of reviewing things. So it's because of those gifts that I was given um, and a few others and also the verbal linguistic gift that I do what mm-hmm. I do, yes. You know, it's, it's real interesting um, when you talk about finding your gifts. Uh, yes. I remember um, just, uh, it was probably more than 30 years ago there was a psychologist on a local KBC radio by the name of David Viscott. Mm-hmm. And I was a, a young, I, you're probably familiar with his name. 
And I was a young mother at the time trying to do all those things that I was fortunate. My husband had that same logistical, mathematical. He was also from Detroit and was an engineer and was able. Yes, I know. It's good. The connections are always there, aren't they? Yes, yes, they are. They really are. And so after he graduated from the University of Detroit, he got a job at Hughes Aircraft, which then became Raytheon, and that's where he worked his entire career. And he was one of those men you've just described. And I remember listening to David Viscott on the radio. And one of the things that he said that has always stayed with me is that you need to understand your purpose and what your gift is. Because once you understand those two things and you know that you have it, then you can explore it. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of what you were just saying. And some people don't take the time to smell the roses and, and to wonder about what their purpose is. And this, my radio show which is well into its third year now, born to talk. That's, mm-hmm. That is who I am. That's who I've always been. I'm more confident right. today than I was, but sure. talking and, ex- and exploring and discovering and conversing with others, it just fills my tank. And, and I, don't, I can be anywhere in the world and start that conversation with someone. And, and I, so I know that that's a little bit about me. Uh, I want to congratulate you. You, I didn't realize you'd written so many books, but I am familiar (laughs) that you just, you just released a book this, this past June called Blueprint for Engagement. It's all about, shall we? Yes. Well, that book is really about um, how leaders can get their teams more engaged and by, and they do that by being authentic, by being authentic leaders. So it's taking this 30 years of research that I did on what it means to be authentic, helping people recognize their authenticity, and then how to apply it in their lives. And I include um, um, chapters from three people who I've trained in my program. Two of them are in the medical field. Uh, One is a, a naturopathic physician, and he discusses how he uses authenticity with his patients and how that's made a difference in their lives. One is a nurse, a retired nurse now, and she has actually trained nurses from a military hospital on these concepts, as well as nurses in the hospital where, um, I'm sorry, leaders in in the nursing industry in the military field. And also one chapter is by a former vice president of human resources at Target Stores who has trained uh, in the program and coaches some people. So, yes, um, the book is actually just out less than a few weeks ago. In fact, it, mm-hmm. it came out when Congrats. I was still in China. I hadn't even got my copies yet. But, yes, okay. it is out. It's, I'm excited because it kind of brings everything that I've written before about authenticity, the process that I use, the assessment that I have, the grid that explains it all, and shows people more about it, how to use it, and some case studies of people who have been successful with it. You know, I think what would be really helpful, it would be helpful to me and, and I believe to the listeners, let's, let's define, please define what authenticity means. Well, there's the standard dictionary definitions, which essentially means sincerity, honesty, being trustworthy, being genuine, all of those great qualities that we look at. I add to that two things because my, my, my take on authenticity is from a human dignity perspective and the standpoint of self-awareness. 
So I add to that a focus on the common good. So you're seeking to do good not just for yourself in a selfish way because you can be very authentic and be very selfish at the same time. You think of someone Mm -hmm. like Bernie Madoff. For all we know, he was very authentic in his desire to scam billions of dollars out of people. And that's not the kind of authenticity I'm talking about. I'm talking about we're using Mm -hmm. it for the common good. And the second thing that I add to my definition is a focus on your natural gifts and talents. The work that I do is helping people step into their authenticity by way of understanding their natural gifts and talents, the things, the, the solidness that they were born with, the, the, the stuff that besides their blood and, and the stuff that flows in the organs that they live within their body, there's a lot of other stuff that you can't put your finger on that's more intangible that you were born with that makes you authentic. And when you understand what those are and you maximize those, then you really step into your authentic self. So those are the things that I add to the definition of authenticity. I love that. I do. I think it's, I don't know how many people are taking notes. Um, the nice thing about doing a podcast is you can start and stop it. And right. I, I'm taking notes. I am taking notes as, as you're speaking. Um, how is engagement? Because I know that that's a term that's a part of your book, the blueprint for engagement. How is engagement related to authenticity? Well, you know, the, the research says that in corporate America, that up to 80% of employees are not engaged in, in the workplace. Wow. And the similar... The, the, uh, may, pers- may I interrupt you? Did that be surprise you? Right ahead. I, I got your attention. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> yes, you did. Well, and, and, and uh, you know, if we were sitting looking at one another, which unfortunately we, we are not, but but we will... Um, I was, I could probably just like put my hand up and say, wait, I got to ask a question here. So excuse me if I interrupt at times. Were you surprised 80 per, 80% of the people yes. were not, did that shock you or was, were, did that? Absolutely. And I think it's 70% United States and 81% internationally or it's something, but it's up to 80% Man. so affair. And wow. it's not just worldwide. And wow. that speaks to me that the system Something's not right with the system if only 20% of the people really want to come to work. So when you talk about accidents at work, when you talk about absenteeism at work, when you talk about things, about, about conflict and, and teams not going, working well together, a great deal of it is because people only come for the paycheck. And there really needs to be more reasons to come to work than just getting the paycheck. And that's where well, often look at the news. Look at yeah, the well, news. I, I haven't I mean, heard it for two months. And I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying that piece, and I'm going to kind of know, stay with that. You know, um, Norma, I'm going to tell you, when I speak with my friends, um, that often comes up in our conversations as well because Mm -hmm. of workplace violence and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it it just seems to be uh, on the rise and then you add all of the technology that's in here. And I, I hate to be the one because I really personally, just for me now, I'm speaking for myself, I'm really, um, uh, a proponent of um, of social media, I, I require it, frankly, for my work, so that people can find me and listen to me on a variety of podcasts and platforms. And I try to look in the good of Facebook and, you know, Twitter. I don't. I personally read the political rants I, on either side. I, I really just that isn't why I'm on Facebook. I really want to see the more joyful things because I really do believe 
and I know you you spent um, quite some time in China. We're going to talk about that in a while. I really do believe that the common good of all of us is similar. We all want the same things. We all want peace. We all want love. We all want to give and receive love and respect. And in my travels, I have found that I wherever I've been, I have found that to be common. And I end up collecting Facebook friends from all over the world in my travels because we genuinely, I would use your word authentic. I think I need to start replacing authentic when I use genuine and and recognize what a what a powerful word that is, um, Norma. I, I really, I just, I just think it's just fabulous what you're doing. And I, I'd be curious to know, um, would you, would you say that there's a different, a difference between authenticity and authentic leadership? Is it one and the same? No, they are, uh, uh, different in in some ways. You can be well, the authentic leadership. The thing about authentic leadership is that all of the scholars who study authentic leadership agree on one thing that I found, and that is that the number one quality of an authentic leader is self awareness. So you can be authentic and not really be aware. And authentic Enough, leaders yeah. have taken the time to recognize where they're vulnerable. And they don't mind admitting to their vulnerability, and they staff their their lives. And when I say lives, I mean personal and professional, to make sure that the gaps that they have are met. Because everybody, you know, we all have so many things we have to do in life to survive. But right. as I mentioned, gifts and talents, we all don't have the gifts. Because some people are no good with math and do no good with a bank account. That doesn't mean that they're not intelligent and they don't have some gifts, mm-hmm. what have you. They just don't have that gift and maybe haven't mm-hmm. learned how to overcome it. So an authentic leader recognizes, you know, I'm not really good at math. Now, what do I need to do to add to my life to make sure that the math things that I have to have done are taken care of? And that's what an authentic leader does. They recognize this is where my shortcoming is. How can I, make, how can I fill this gap both in my personal and my professional life, so I can be as effective, so that my gifts do shine. Because I'm hired because of my gifts. I'm married because of the gifts I have that I bring to the table. So what do I need to do to to uh, help to reduce my shortcomings, because we all have them, to make sure mm-hmm. that my gifts falter? So that's what an authentic leader does. And by doing so and by being so so real, so honest, so vulnerable, they get, they get more respect. And by the respect you're also role modeling that same vulnerability to the people you work with. And eventually the entire culture, the environment shifts and it shifts to one of, you know, you just care about people. You know, it's hard to know somebody and know somebody, your friends you may have known for years, even if you may not get along, it's hard not to love them when you know them. Even when you're divorced from somebody, it's hard not to still have some love for that person because you know what their stuff is, what their mess is. So, and the reason probably it didn't work out is because they couldn't handle their mess or you couldn't handle mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. the difference in an authentic leader is they handle their mess. They don't let their mess get in the way of their leadership. Your, your description made me immediately think of somebody that we've all come to know about. I mean, it, it almost sounds like you spoke to him directly, and that's mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, you know, he 
has taken a lot of responsibility for what has happened mm-hmm. on Facebook and um, how people have been so um, unhappy and distrustful. And, and I mean, I don't know the man. I mean, we've never sat down and had a conversation by any means. But I think that what he did was almost the roadmap that you just described. You know, mm-hmm. this has happened. I'm not happy about it. It doesn't represent my values. And I, I'm authentic. And if this didn't go right, then I need to find a way to make it be right. And mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't help but think about him as a, and he's so young, um, yeah. as a young leader today. You know, I'm sure that, do you have some examples that you could, could throw in there that, that you would say would, would be that, that kind of self-aware leader? Who, who do you respect and admire in that, in that arena? Well, that's interesting. I haven't looked at it in that way, you know, quite as much. And as I get mm-hmm. older, and and particularly being in China for a little while, it it gives me a different. I come back with my values a little shifted, and mm-hmm. so where others I may have thought were authentic in the past, as more is revealed to me, I don't know so much that that is true. So I'm I'm going to pass on that question. Because okay, I'm still in uh, investiga- investigating mode on that. That's really and that's that's very interesting. Um, but I do think that what you said is really important. And you know, we don't all have to be um, uh, a CEO or CFO right. or COO to be a leader. You know, right. I was a Girl Scout leader. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right, I was right, a leader right. In my community, in the PTA. And mm-hmm. I don't think it really matters where you are taking a form of leadership. I think the 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 mindset and behavior of being authentic and being self-aware, if you're really not good in math and you're in a bowling league, then let somebody else keep score. Do you know? Right. You know, yeah, understand where your weaknesses are and, right. and bring your strengths that, that carry you to a – I'm finding that – Norma, I'm finding that today you and I are both Toastmasters. We've learned a lot of things about speaking and challenges and speaking off just, you know, extemporaneously like we do in table topics and some of the things we do in Toastmasters. And it's really interesting to sort of know yourself and that self-awareness component. uh, I can really see why that's important because you know what? For many people that are listening today, regardless of their age, perhaps they've never asked themselves that question. You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like that song, what's it all about, Alfie? What am I all about? You know, have you ever really asked? And um, just sort of as a side note to to what we're just talking about, because I I really want this show is about you, but it, it does make me think about something else that sort of applies to what you're saying. I became an instant widow um, a little over nine years ago. My husband was alive, and then my husband wasn't alive. And he died in a public place, and it was pretty unexpected and shocking. And I, one of the things that, that became very apparent to me very early on after he passed was that I had the realization that my husband was not my everything. I was a Mrs., but I was also Marsha. 
And I tell people this when I have the opportunity that if you have your spouse be your everything and your spouse dies, then what are you left with? You're left with nothing and you don't even know who you are. And Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the other message that you're talking about here is being self-aware in so many ways, um, recognizing your strengths and your weaknesses. I, I just think that that's such an important integral part of understanding yourself so that you can, you understand how you face disappointment. You understand how you face joy and, and how the people around you do the same thing. And Mm -hmm. that sort of leads me to, to my next question with you. And that is, the the book just prior to the engagement book um, is a 10-step book, and you've written a book that's called The 10 Steps to Authenticity. And now I'd like to hear about that book, if you wouldn't mind. Well, before I go to that, I want to say a couple yes. other things uh, first. Sure. And um, I, too, lost my husband uh, quickly. He was murdered three years ago. <gasps> and. Yes, that was um so I understand the tragic the tragedy and because of the the tragic way in which it happened it was also very public and on the news and just you know very very public. Oh. And wow. um you know, things I'm of that so nature do take take a while to you know to re, to to heal from. What I will say that helped me a great deal is the fact that I have my authenticity process and it allowed me to uh, find my strengths and uh, deal with my gaps and fill them in such a way that I didn't have to suffer too much um, from the from the tragedy that occurred. So the authenticity helps. And and you you also asked a question about who I admire, and I want to mm-hmm. answer that. I told you I wanted to pass on that in terms of yeah, saying someone back. someone that may be known by everybody. And who I admire really are the people who've made the decision to be authentic. And I'll give you a couple of examples because what happens is that when a person decides to be authentic, then the people that, whose lives they touch then also choose to be authentic because you're role modeling it. And then that begins a, a, a continuation, uh, the domino effect, if you will, on the people mm-hmm. that you come in contact with, that they come in contact with, that they come in contact with, et cetera. So a couple people mm-hmm. I want to mention is like there's one of the girls that was involved with me some years ago. Her name is Tracy, and when she decided she wanted me to train her so she could teach my work, I asked her about her shortcoming, which was being overweight. And she said she didn't know why she was overweight. And she called me back a week later and told me that she was not overweight; she was obese. And the reason that she was was because at two years old she was raped and she started mm-hmm. eating. And then at 12 she was raped again and started eating some more. Oh. And that, that she, and then she forgot how she looked. She just looked in the mirror, but she didn't see what everybody else saw. And then she just stopped talking about it. But then she decided what I asked her to do is how can she be more authentic in the area of her, of her net wellness. And she made the decision that she wanted to uh, start weighing her food so that she was eating in the right proportions. And what happened is that in 11 months, she had released 100 pounds. And oh, my goodness. We, yeah, we put her on a TV show, My Black is Beautiful, and it did a complete makeover. And she went to Paris in April, the following April, to speak. And next thing I knew, she got married. 
So she Mm -hmm. was able to stand to her authenticity and be a role model for others. Another lady named Diana had just retired as a sales manager of a male-dominated industry. And she had decided as a child that she did not want to get married because she did not like the way her mother treated her father treated her mother. And she didn't want any children because she didn't like how much her mother had to do to take care of the children. So when she retired, she realized she had no family and didn't know what to do with herself. And then she came mm-hmm. to my program and learned about her authentic self and then decided that she wanted to start a nonprofit. And now it's been several years, and she f- brings farmer fresh food to the nursing facilities in the greater Phoenix area and now has sponsors, including, I think, Walmart and several other major corporations. So she's touching others by touching her own authenticity. So the people I admire are those who have made the choice to step away from what society may say is who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to live your life and step into really knowing who you are authentically and being that person because then the treasures that you uh, uncover for yourself are are just numerous, and you have no idea how fulfilling it may be for your life. So those are the people that I admire and what I suggest, and that's exactly what my first book, Ten Steps to Authenticity, talks about, how to, really, how to live a more rewarding and satisfying life and doing that by being authentic. So in your, in your book, The Ten Steps to Authenticity, uh, is it a is it a workbook? Tell me tell me about the book itself. I'd like to know how the book is has is organized because I'm assuming there are ten steps. Yes, there are ten steps, and they're based on the nine dimensions of authenticity. When I mentioned that at 28 I dissected myself, and my personal dissection ended up 30 years later being what I call the authenticity grid, which is basically nine energies that live within each of us that make up our authenticity. And I have them divided into your inner voice, which is how you talk to yourself, your outer voice, mm-hmm. how other people perceive you, and your expressive voice, who you have become. So when you understand those ten steps, and the ten steps are those nine steps of identifying each one of those nine different energies, and the tenth step is then just integrating it into your life. And I have a whole video assessment people can take, and it's at howauthenticami.com howauthenticami.com, and that explains the whole assessment. It shows you the grid, mm-hmm. get a copy of the grid, a copy of the assessment, and it gives you a chance to really uh, look at your own authenticity and, um, and then what, what to do about it and then how to be more authentic in your life, how to interpret and you, your and score. And it's never too late. Right? It's never, never too, too late. late. Never, ever. I think, you know, life is always evolving. And if we stop evolving mm-hmm. ourselves, then we're not staying in tune with the universe. And I think as yeah. human beings, part of our role, you know, we're made up a lot of water, which is what the earth is made up of. So we want to flow with, along with the earth, the earth flowing. So it means evolving right along with it and becoming mm-hmm. more of who you are. Just out of curiosity, because I, I am so curious about this subject, do you find that, and this is a real generalization, and I don't know if, if this is even a fair question to ask, do you find that women are more apt to want to do this than men, or is it, is it pretty evenly balanced? Well, I think it is more women, but I think in women in, generally, in general are more interested in personal development than men are. More mm-hmm. men teach it than women do, but more women, mm-hmm. I think, purchase it than men do. 
Interesting. Mm-hmm. Have you ever worked with couples? I have worked with couples, yes. I've worked with a few mm-hmm. couples over time and helping them mm-hmm. to recognize their authenticity. Because with my assessment, there are several things that are that are revealed. When people take it, they get one score, and I get 16 scores when I look at it. So when I'm able to talk to people about it in terms of their team partner in terms of a marriage or their team in terms of their leadership, I can help them see what kind of leader they are and what kind of leader they need and what kind of leader that will thwart their growth and what kind of leader or you know other style will help to, to support their growth. So there's a lot of different ways to look at it, to to examine, and I use a lot of different assessments in mine, and I supplement it by several others depending on my discussions with people. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this is becoming a very popular subject today? Do you? Why do you think that being authentic and authenticity is becoming so, so popular today? Well, there is a, a gentleman named Michael Drew, who is a literary agent who has had 80 to 100, I don't even know how many right now, consecutive top sellers on the New York Times bestseller list. So he and a partner of his did some research on human nature. They went back 3,000 years, and they found that every 40 years there's what he calls a pendulum shift, and that pendulum shifts from a society focused on me to a society focused on we. And we are currently in the we cycle, which according to Drew started in 2003. And in two, when, when the cycle starts, you have 10 years of transition, which would be 2003 to 2013, and then 20 mm-hmm. years of saturation, which would be 2013 to 2033, and then 10 years of movement into the other area. So the area that we're in now, when I heard Michael Drew talk about this, he talked about the 40-year cycle that started in 2003 is about authenticity. And I think it's so important because we become very inauthentic. There is so much conversation about authenticity because there's so much that's been recognized that's inauthentic in our life, in our world, in our society. There's so much fake news, if you want to use that term, mm-hmm. or fake, mm-hmm. or you know, fake grass, you know, which started years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Fake time, you know, they have daylight savings time. Just you know, mm-hmm. fake here, fake boo, fake boobs. You get fake tattoos now. You can tattoo in your eyebrows or your under under eye liner. You know, it's fake. You don't often know what's what. So and wow. so, not authentic anymore. And this is how it's showing up. Yeah, it's interesting because as you're talking about leaders, one of the things, and my children are in their 40s, um, mm-hmm. but I think about the authentic parent, you know, saying yeah. one thing but role, model, role modeling another. Um, my husband was, as I told you earlier, he was an engineer. He was, he was very um, authentic. I mean, that he... He would be that example. He wouldn't bother to take your test, but I could tell you that just by the way he conducted his life and how he was respected and how he was that rock in our family, the, that he was the go-to guy, um, mm-hmm. he, 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 he talked 
the he walked the talk. I guess that's the term I guess I would say. There was never any question about him saying one thing and demonstrating another. And right. you hope that your children pick those lessons up and that they carry that forward. And sometimes that happens and maybe sometimes it doesn't. But I think about his parents and the way they lived their life and my parents and the way they mm-hmm. lived their life. And even though we were not of the same religion, we were we and my parents were not college educated, his parents were not college educated. They worked they worked in you know, in, in the auto industry like so many did days. That's how you right. that's where you worked. And uh and he and I think one of the successes of our marriage was that he was totally dependable. He is who he was. And he lived by it is what it is. So he didn't really um, waver too much from that. So once I understood that about him, that that's Mm -hmm. authentically who he is and was, he is never going to say that's such a pretty sweater. He's never Mm going to say that. He's also never going to say, you're not going to wear that, are you? He would never have said that either. He was not Mm -hmm. a judgmental man, nor was his mother, nor was his father. And uh, I, I, as I'm reflecting on so much of what you're saying to my personal life, and perhaps others are doing the same, because I think right now we're living in such a, an interesting time. I loved what you said about the research, and that was Michael, was it Drew, like D-R-E-W, is that the last name? Yes. Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. I, I like what you said about this 40-year pendulum of the, the me's to the we's, You know, um, that selfish part where it's all about me isn't the kind of society that I think any of us would choose to live in. If it's all about me, I don't give a damn about you. I I don't want to live in a world like that. You know, I I really just don't want to live in a world like that. I I live in a community, Norma. You're from Detroit. I was born and raised here in Westchester. The uh, you know mm-hmm. community within Los Angeles. I've always lived here. I've lived in my house since 1973. I'm very attached to my community, and I'm attached to my neighbors. And we had we had an emergency on our street last night, an unexpected um, emergency with one of our older neighbors that had fallen. And we one of the neighbors noticed that she nobody picked up the newspaper, and it's like that's not a good sign. It's on your porch. It's 4:30 and it still hasn't been picked up. Something's not mm. right. And we were we we came together as a neighborhood and worked this worked this out. And when it was all over, I thought to myself, this is this is authentic living. Th- yeah. This is what neighbors do. This is this that's why I told you that that this show seemed very personally important to me because I do want to make sure that I'm paying attention to my authentic self. Am I living the truth, so to speak? And if I'm Mm. not, what kinds of changes do I need to make? So I just think that what you're doing is just so, so important. And I'd like to know, um, what does authentic, authenticity, sometimes it's hard for me to say that. What does authentic, I think you've probably said it, but what does it really mean to you personally? Could you describe what that feels like? 
Well, you know, it's, it's a struggle and it's confusing, which I think is how people feel a lot. I was born in a very traditional family. I mentioned that my father was a dentist, my mother was a teacher, and I'm the creative one. I was mm-hmm. in a very traditional family, so they didn't understand me. I, and I was not a creative like my brothers and sister because they were musically creative. I was more mm-hmm. intellectually creative. I was always had new ideas. I always was writing programs. I was always writing and creating something out, outside of the norm. And they just they didn't know how to deal with that. I mean, as I'm in my older years, I understand that now it wasn't like that going through it. But I was always trying to find my authenticity because they tried to make me a teacher. And mm-hmm. I understand, you know, a lot of people. I just got back from China working with students there, and most of the girls there in the programs are in accounting because that's what their parents told them would be safe for them, and they hate it. And so it's the same kind of thing. And I have other people that have told me their parents told them to be nurses or or doctors or lawyers, but these are all supposedly safe jobs, but they're also very stressful, and they're nothing like the fantasy that we might think they are. They're a Mm -hmm. bunch of people working together that don't get along, you know, working in a system that doesn't work. So it's the same Mm -hmm. thing no matter where you go, pretty much. So you may as well do something that is aligned with who you are and what your gifts and talents are. So I mentioned that you teach what it is you are to learn because sometimes when you have multiple gifts, which I'm I'm blessed to have the gift, as I mentioned, of logical mathematical, and I also mentioned intrapersonal, and I mentioned verbal, and there's one other which is called existential, which means Mm -hmm. um, having a deeper understanding of the world. And so with Mm -hmm. those particular complement of gifts, First of all, each of the four of those are kind of high, so I mean, like, so which one do you like most? Well, what day is it? Someday I like this and someday I like that one, the other one. And people that only have one, you know, they just, they have one path. So if, if your top gift is music and that's your primary, you might say, oh, everybody else has all these other gifts. But, yeah, they're very confused. But if you just have one major gift, then you know what direction to go into in your life. So just go do it and make it easy. But... When you're trying to be authentic, when you seek to be authentic and you have multiple gifts, it's hard to find where your authentic core is among the gifts that you have, and especially when you add your values and a whole bunch of other pieces that I, that I assess people on and assess myself on. So, mm-hmm. you know, my quest has been to learn my own authenticity, and it's still unfolding. And as a matter of fact, my trip to China for the last two months, I just got back about a week ago, was very revealing. I came, I went there to help transform the students, help them find their self, and I left having a better knowledge of myself and stepping more into my authenticity. So, you know, I mentioned I'm a child of the 60s, so I have some age on me. So I'm always, I'm still evolving, and I will probably continue to evolve until the last day that I um, have my breath, and I'll probably be trying to evolve then while I'm talking or go on the way out of here. I don't know. But but evolution yeah. is authenticity's evolution because you can take my assessment two days in a row and have different scores. One of the girls that's been with me for about 20 years on on this journey, she says when she takes my assessment now, her scores get lower rather than higher. People would think, you know, intuitively your scores are supposed to get higher as you go down the road. But she says, no, they get lower because I become more authentic with myself and I'm more honest with my answer. That instead of saying the answer, I think I'm supposed to say. That's very interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's. I'd uh, let's talk about that that authenticity assessment that you have online, because frankly, yes. I I did take it, 
and I got my scores back and I thought, hmm, it was interesting. I, 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 I just, I did just take it. So I haven't delved into it any deeper, but mm. so perhaps right now what you could do as, as since we're talking about this assessment, could you tell our listeners how they would go about t- finding that assessment and how they would take it themselves? Because it's free. How, how yes. would they find that? They can go to authenticityassessment.com. And okay. I know that might be hard to spell and get right, so I'll give you the shortcut. And that's berealtest.com. That's B-E-R-E-A-L-T-E-S-T.com. And that that's will take you right. Yes. That's, that's cool. You know, another um, really, while we're talking about your websites, I want to make sure we get this in there. Another website that I think is really uh, great for people to visit is the authenticitymovement.com. Um, I right. think that that's another place that people people can visit, and I I want to make sure that people um, are able to do that. So if you're listening on this as a podcast and you want to pause it and write and write it down, authenticitymovement.com. If you wanted to, you can also to get to that, that. normahollis.com, which again is easier to spell. N o r m a. Yes. H o l l i s. Absolutely. Yes. What do you think is the biggest challenge right now that we have with authenticity? What what what's challenging us as a as a society in in this subject? Well, recognizing how important it is. People don't, you know, they think that, you know, again, coming back from China where the values are so different, uh, we don't realize being here in America how much our values are influenced by greed, because hmm. there is. Greed in in the majority of the commercials that are on TV. It may be very subtle, but it is continuous, and we get a continual diet of wanting more and thinking we need more and thinking we're supposed to have more, and therefore we have to spend more. And even when you recognize this perspective, it's still hard to change because it mm-hmm. becomes ingrained in who you become. And so in China, it was totally different. There, the, the, whole, the come from is not how much more can I get, how much more can I buy, what can I get from you, how can I get you to put some of your money in my pocket, which is what we sometimes subconsciously are thinking without even knowing we're thinking that, that I come from, mm-hmm. and we don't even realize mm-hmm. So that, that's a big, big difference that as I'm stepping into my authenticity to another level, being in China helped me to see that and to remove some of the onions that have become layers over me on that, on that edge of greed that I've been trying to get rid of and really couldn't quite get rid of like I wanted to. And I forgot what your question was, but that was part of the well, answer. I, I, I don't know I if was... I answered well, well, no, no, no. I, I think you did answer it. I was my, my question had to do with the challenge of it all, you know, and how, yeah. and and the willingness as a society um, right. to even challenge want is making to the decision in the subject. Right, because it, yeah. it's, it's a sacrifice to be authentic, because you're giving mm-hmm. up on some of the values that you that have been so ingrained in you through the commercials mm-hmm. you've been watching since you were a child. And to the mm-hmm. ones you watch now, to the billboards you drive by, to the people you talk to in the office, and they talk about their new cars or their new this or their new that. And there's constantly 
the the competitiveness, subtle though it may be, is still a natural competitiveness that is always in front of us. And well. and we respond to it in one way or another. So that's the challenge, to let go of that and let let being be more important than having. I don't know if you're a sports fan, but um, even if you're not, um, something pretty dramatic happened here in Los Angeles sports yesterday. I heard about it. I love it. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And so people are talking about LeBron, and it's really funny because on social media, his name is spelled L-E, capital B-R-O-N. But now people are starting to spell his name as L-A, Bron because of him coming oh, to the it, LA yeah. Lakers, uh-huh. you know, and, and you talk to people that, you know, I'm a, I'm a very big basketball fan and I think it's fabulous that the Lakers were able to get this guy as kids go to local schools here. So, I mean, I understand all of that. I feel kind of bad that he walked away from Cleveland. I think they must not be too happy, but what you hear people say continuously is how does one person, mm-hmm. What does one person do with $153 million when you and I know, as we look around our greater Los Angeles area, and we're certainly not the only place, and we see the serious homeless population and people that are really hungry, you know, there is this, whoa, like, gosh, you know, and I have a feeling, frankly, that this man is very um, philanthropic and generous, and I'm sure he will he will throw his money in causes that are important to him because, frankly, right. he'll never spend all that money. He won't live long enough. But right. um, it is it, it is interesting. And I, when you were in China, to hear a little bit more about that, were, were, you, were you working with what age bracket of people were you speaking with? Uh, I, the ones I was teaching were oh, college students. Okay. They were between 19 and 22, and they okay. were anywhere between freshmen and seniors or even graduates from the college. So they were, what, you know, they were in, in a lot of different uh, majors, business, English. All of them spoke English quite fluently. Isn't that interesting? We couldn't say that here. It's always interesting when people speak so many languages, but we as Americans are a little behind that grid. Um, what was the, what was the, was it, were you teaching authenticity? Is that what your coursework was? Yes, I was teaching them my entire authenticity system. And in my system, when I teach, I'm training people now to begin to train others. And mm-hmm. in that particular program, I teach them also speaking. So what I had my students do, and I was very fortunate, I had a very small class of only six students. It was really, we could get very deep. And I spent about Mm -hmm. 10 hours with them a week. So it was really very, very wonderful. But what Mm -hmm. I had them do is I had them speak to their peers. So we do what we call once a week an open forum where we have maybe 100 people in attendance. And normally the, the, the two visiting professors or visiting facilitators, myself and another girl, uh, we take two of those Wednesdays and do our program. Well, I took my fourth, uh, my second uh, position, which was the last Wednesday of the month I was there. And rather than me speak to the hundred uh, Chinese students there, I had my students speak to them. So I introduced nice. it, and then I, I, and then I had them introduce each of the nine dimensions of authenticity, 
and tell their personal story about how knowing about this dimension has improved their authenticity in their lives and how it impacts them as a member of this World Academy for the Future of Women and or as a leader and or as a college student. So that way the audience got far more out of it by hearing their peers tell these stories and hearing someone two or three times their age tell these stories. And so that was a great accomplishment for me because what I learned from that too is that how easily – how I'm teaching it a lot more effectively. Before I taught it over a year period, and now I did it over four weeks, and now I know I can do it even a shorter period than that. So that really gave me the knowledge of what I need, and so I'm looking at other ways to do it. And I'm also just ecstatic about how delighted these students were to get this information. So what they, they have two classes. They have a first-year group and a second-year group. And I was teaching the, the last class of the school year of the second-year group. And yet I had a half a dozen students from the first-year group say, I want to learn from you, teacher. And so I scheduled a class just for them. And half of the class attended, and they were just ecstatic. So I'm, so I'm ecstatic to recognize how valuable my program and my information is for students of that age, because then I was able also to give a number of them one-on-one coaching to put several elements together and give them clarity in a very short period of time is this is where your future lies. This is what, these are the options that you can see where your future, you know, what you can do. And I help them look at that from a, from a standpoint of what their gifts and talents are, not the jobs that are available now, because the research shows that half of the jobs that today's youth will have available for them have not even been created yet. So you can't really? raise a child by a job. You raise a child by their gifts and their skills so that wherever the world goes, their gifts and skills have a place. Can you see bringing this information to children much younger than this, that this, would be a, that this could be something that, that could be done in middle school or elementary school? I mean, what do you think about how important this is for children? As opposed, as a matter to of fact, adults. you know, my degrees in early childhood and my first career was oh. directing preschool programs, and All we right. did develop a program that we call Big Mama's Girls, where for elementary school girls, we help them understand about their inner voice, and that's the first part of authenticity. For the mm-hmm. students in middle school, we help them understand about their outer voice, and for mm-hmm. the students in high school, about their expressive voice or the entire program. So, yes, it has a lot of valuable for them. Oh, I can see that. I could see, you know, a lot of organizations, um, not only schools, but, you know, even I, was, I worked at the Y for 10 years. I could see some of these programs, you know, being, I could just, well, I could just see your programs being, I, don't, I can't see a place where it wouldn't be um, um, effective, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a way to tell if someone is actually being authentic as opposed to not being authentic? Is there a way to to determine that? Would somebody be able well, to tell? We all can kind of tell that. We just don't always know what to call it. Because sometimes you meet people who you just feel something's not right, something's not in sync about them. And often what that means is their inner voice is saying one thing, and their outer voice is saying something else. And by the inner mm-hmm. voice, I mean the voice that speaks to them, that no one hears but themselves, 
and the outer mm-hmm. voice is how they're perceived in the world. So their inner mm-hmm. voice may be telling them to do something or be somewhere or do or something, and they're just not paying attention. And it comes across very clearly because they're disheveled, they're disorganized, their thoughts mm-hmm. aren't right, they're not, there's some incoherency about them. It may be very intangible, and only maybe the more discerning, intuitive people can really see it. But that's kind of how you tell. Do you, I know for myself, um, some people might consider me to be somewhat of a control freak. Um, I will just attest to that. that There's probably some truth to that. My comfort level is better if I know what to anticipate. The standard joke is I can be spontaneous. I just have to to plan for it. It's like, right, uh, right. I don't think that's exactly right. But, you know, I don't ask you to be spontaneous on Mondays between 1 and 2, except I can do it with my guests. But, no, I'm not right. going to walk with you because I can't be spontaneous in that time of day. Um, you know, so it's, it's kind of a joke amongst us. It's like, sure, you're really spontaneous. But, no, I'm really probably not spontaneous. I I like I, – my father um, was very orderly. Butch was very – orderly and so I was I lived with people that were orderly so honestly for me that was a huge measure of comfort I knew when we were going to eat I knew how we were going to do the marketing I knew what day I did the laundry and while I disagree with you you, you, because I think you are spontaneous I do because I think the best way to be spontaneous is to know what your boundaries are because when you know what your boundaries oh. are, then you're spontaneous in, within the boundaries. So you're not, because you're not so structured that you're mechanical. And I think people are better when they're spontaneous within, within a structure. Because then you know what walls to bounce oh. off of, bounce off the walls. But make sure you stay in the walls. You're good. Oh, gosh, Norma, this is what I want to you. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding. That is just, that was, that was a gift. And trust me, yeah. I unwrapped it. Thank you for yeah, saying that. Well, you that were because, because you know we had we had our questions that we had talked about, and you know, and you you but you went right off script and just were spontaneous and flowed with it. So I don't take that label off yourself. That's not true. Okay. <laughs> my opinion. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, You're my welcome. Oh, my, my pleasure. God, that, I I. I don't know how, you know, how other people are feeling. You, I, you never know unless people are going to respond to me and say, oh, my God, that, sh- that guest was so great or whatever. But you just never know, frankly, how someone that's listening is going to reflect upon the message. You know, every week it's something different. Next week we're going to be talking about widows. And this woman okay. is 47 years old, and she's been a widow for five years. And that's going to be the focus of that show. And the following week, it's going to be about guide dogs of America. I have mm. a vast variety of guests telling yes. incredible stories. But if I walk away going, oh, that was all right. If I don't get something out of it for myself, if I don't walk away feeling inspired, entertained, motivated, whatever those terms are that people use when they are listening, when they're sitting in L.A. traffic and they just want to put a podcast on, you know, I I have the pleasure of bringing guests every week to share their stories, and that's what's so cool. So 
So in the few minutes that's remaining, I do want to know, what's up next for you? You got another book in the works, or are you going to give yourself a break from writing right now? Well, you know, I am. I've been writing for years, and so, you know, my inner voice is telling me now get your writings out in the world. So actually, mm-hmm. I, you know, I put together my wonderful plan, and being in um, China has helped me to do this, take a break from the writing for a while. I'm going to be, first of all, certifying some people to deliver my programs. I'm looking for people all across mm-hmm. the world. And then I'm going, to be, I'm going to be training those this year and then taking those trainers across the United States to train other people in other states and then through some consulates and other connections, taking it internationally. So my goal in the next 10 years is to have my authenticity program in multiple universities across the United States and for people who are in transition in their life so that they can make their transitions with informed information based on who they are, not what their their fantasy-perceived storybook idea is of something, but based on what they bring to the world, what they've been through so far, what their values are, what their gifts and talents are, what their authenticity is, and how they can best serve their purpose moving forward. Well, I have to tell you, too bad this isn't a two-hour show, but it's not. (laughs) But I can tell you this. Oftentimes I have guests return. You're certainly one that I would want to to revisit with maybe in six months to see what's happened since we last spoke. But for today, I just just want to thank you, Norma, so much for, for joining me, for reaching out. We do have multiple connections, you and I, which is always fun when you go to social media and you go, oh, you know him, oh, you know her, too. right? It's <laughs> that's so cool. You know, so for your friends and my friends that are mutual, how great for us! And I just, I really do want to thank you for joining me, and 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 I want our guests to remember that these are podcasts, and um, I now have I have a team that I'm working with, and you'll be able to really go to my website, which is theborntotalkradioshow.com. And all of my shows are listened there. You'll be able to listen to them on iTunes and Blog Talk and Google Play and Stitcher and SoundCloud and TuneIn. I'm all over the place now. I'm I'm easy to find. And I'm on a Facebook page. And I just want people to know that um, Marsha Witeka, it's not an easy it's not easy to say when you look at the name because Waiteka is Polish. My husband, like I said, was from Detroit. You know, that was a huge Polish community in Hamtramck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm easy to be found. You can always drop me a note at Marsha at borntotalkradioshow.com. And I would love to hear from any of you out there that would like to have an experience of being an authentic guest on my show. But for today, I guess I will say goodbye to you, Norma. And and but I I don't actually I don't even want to say goodbye. I just think I want to say happy trails until we meet again. I I wish I could play that in the background because <laughs> and undoubtedly I would love to know more. And I know that you just got home, and I'm glad that you've been able to acclimate yourself. It's it's not easy to re- recover from being gone and living in another environment and also in another time zone. So thank you so, so much, Norma, for, for being my guest today. Really, I appreciate it. Marcia, you're welcome. And I thank you so much for having me. It has been a joy. You're a great interviewer. And I hope that your audience got some value from what I shared today.
Thanks again. Thank you so much. And now with any luck, I'm going to play a little outgoing music, everybody. Here we go. by any of the 133 Los Angeles area O'Reilly Auto Parts stores where you'll find everyday low prices on the parts you need to keep your vehicle at its best. Our guaranteed low prices ensure you're always getting our best deal. In fact, we'll match any auto parts store's price on any like item. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the Total Wireless Store, where total confidence awaits. I need to keep up with my teens this summer without sweating high cell phone bills. Don't worry. You got this with Total Wireless. We have plans to fit all your family's needs starting at just 25 bucks on the nation's best 4G LTE network. I won't miss a thing. Now you can focus on the important stuff, like arguing about curfew. Discover the Total Wireless stores and get total confidence. The latest phones, the best network, all at great prices. Now open in L.A. Refer to the latest terms and conditions of service at TotalWireless.com. 